This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'd like to welcome y'all to the Destination Devi Podcast, hosted by Ray Garvin, your number one source for everything Devi and Dynasty Fantasy Football. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. If you'd like to take off your seatbelts, it's safe to do so at this time. We'd like to thank you for traveling with us today, and we hope you enjoy your flight. Welcome back to episode seven of the Destination Debbie podcast. I'm your host, Ray Garvin, and you can find me on Twitter at RayGQ. Now, real quick, I just have to rant because there's a debate that is raging on Twitter 24-7. We're not going to solve all the world problems today, and this is probably something that will be debated until the end of fantasy football time, but it is the film analyst versus the analytical analyst. I subscribe to the notion that both are equally important in prospect evaluation. I think that there is a place for the numbers. There's a place for the metrics. There's a place for advanced statistics. And there's also something to be said about watching the tape, watching how a prospect achieves said number or metric, watching, you know, watching the game on the field. I don't think that one is superior than the other. I don't think that if you do it one way, then you're incorrect in doing it the other way. Why can't it be a perfect blend? Why can't you combine the two to become a better analyst? Why is it that you have to be one or the other or one is the superior way of measuring success or predicting success, and the other is so inferior that it's a waste of time. To me, it's it's very just sort of, you know, I'm not going to use the word disrespectful, but dismissive of the hard work that people put in on either side of the coin to crunch those numbers, to create those spreadsheets, to really dive into the numbers. That takes a lot of time and skill, and there's a process to that. And I tip my hat to everybody out there that can do that because I know I don't have that skill set. And those of us who do watch film and break down, you know, prospects, a prospect's game or certain traits that they do well that we see on film, that's not an easy process either. That takes a lot of time to go through that and share that information with the masses. Do I think that there are occasions where the analytical side can skew numbers to fit whatever narrative that wants to be pushed? Absolutely. But do I also think that there are times where, you know, it's just, I mean, watching film is a subjective process. You can have five people watch the same simple toss sweep and you get five different responses as to how that running back was able to spring free and score that 50-yard touchdown. Absolutely. It is subjective. There are biases in watching film. You know, I understand that. I just believe that there is a world in which both can thrive, both can be a part of the process, and both help individuals 
be better dynasty owners, help you be a better analyst, help you be better at predicting future success or failure at the next level for the game that we play, (laughs) the game of a game that we play. I do not subscribe to the notion that one is superior than the other. You know, there are times when I'm watching film and, you know, I've got good friends in the industry who watch the same player and see totally different things. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later today uh, with DeAndre Swift versus Travis Etienne. And there are times where the number side, you look at Andy Isabella during the 2019 pre-draft process. One of the things that many people pointed to was his game against Georgia, 15 receptions, 100, 219 yards and two touchdowns. If you just read those numbers or looked at the box score, you would think that he absolutely lit Georgia up when in fact, both of his touchdowns and 162 of those yards came in the second half when Georgia had pulled their starters and their second team defenders. Now, some might say, well, they still have, you know, three and four star recruits and those fourth stringers are better than anybody at UMass. Maybe, but Andy Isabella is a damn good wide receiver. And I bet you if he played on Georgia, he would probably be the leading receiver on that team. He is a superior athletic talent at the wide receiver position. But again, you wouldn't know that unless you watched the game or at least had some sort of sense to think that, okay, when Georgia's up 42 to 13, they probably don't have DeAndre Baker in the game against UMass. But again, I just subscribe to the notion that both have a place in fantasy football. Uh, The fantasy football analysis process both serve a very good purpose and whatever the side of the coin that you fall on, do it right. If you're going to be the number cruncher, crunch them right, crunch them fair, make sure you're not skewing them to whatever narrative you want to push. And also, if you're going to watch film, try to be as unbiased and, you know, objective as possible and know that it is still going to be a subjective process. What I see is not what you see. And that's why whenever I do my prospect video threads or breakdowns on a player, I try to look at things outside of the highlight reel runs. And I always voice them as just my eye, what I see. And hopefully from that, you can take that information and deduce and surmise your own conclusion from that. I'm never going to try to make you see my way, see my point of view. I'm just providing you data from the film side of what I see on a prospect what I believe they do well. And then from there, you take it and do, you know, come to your own conclusion. I just think that we can be better analysts if we kind of open our step out of our comfort zone and look at some things that we are not normally accustomed to you to looking at. Now, our Debbie team preview takes us to Columbus, Ohio, where we focus on the Ohio State Buckeyes and the question marks and talent that they have on their offense and who Debbie and Dynasty owners should be paying attention to this fall. Right off the bat, they've got over 2,000 offensive yards outside of the quarterback position and 30 touchdowns that they have to replace from Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, uh, Mike Weber. There's a lot of skill position players that have to be replaced on this Buckeyes team. And they have a brand new head coach in Ryan Day. Urban Meyer stepped down. Ryan Day steps in. They're still going to run the same type of offense. I'm sure Ryan Day will put his own spin to it. But what does that look like for Devian Dynasty purposes? Let's just start right at the top at the quarterback position. Justin Fields replacing Heisman Trophy finalist Dwayne Haskins. Haskins was phenomenal last year. I do not think that Fields has the touchdown upside that Haskins has in year one from a passing standpoint. 
but he does so many things well from the quarterback position that you can't help but be excited about Justin Fields. He's not eligible for the NFL draft until 2021. And we all know there's a guy down in Clemson who's coming out who will be and should be the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft. And for Debbie and Dynasty owners, probably the 101 in Superflex formats as well. But Justin Fields is no slouch. He's six foot three, 225 pounds. Last year, he was on the Georgia Bulldogs. And I make a joke, but Jake Fromm is like the, the lone survivor, the last man standing. He forced Jacob Eason to transfer, and now he's forced Justin Fields to transfer. As a true freshman, Fields completed about 70% of his passes. He didn't throw the ball much, but he did throw for 328 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions, while rushing the ball 42 times for 266 yards and four TDs. He is an athletic freak. He was a high, high five-star recruit, number two player in the nation, right behind Trevor Lawrence. And 24-7 Sports has him ranked the number eight all-time recruit for any position. So that's just how much talent that those people saw in Justin Fields. And I see that as well. During the spring game, he sort of struggled. Um, but it was his first, it's his first semester in Ohio State learning a completely new offense from what was run down at Georgia. So some of those struggles are expected. But Justin Fields has the arm talent. He has the talent in his legs, the mobility as a dual threat passer to be a very successful quarterback this fall. And for Debbie and Dynasty related purposes in 2021, he should be the second quarterback off the board after Trevor Lawrence. Now, moving on to the wide receiver position, that's where things get really interesting for the Buckeyes. And you've got players like Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor, CJ Saunders, but really there are three players that Debbie owners and Dynasty players should really be focusing on this fall. That's KJ Hill, Jalen Gill, and Garrett Wilson. Starting with KJ Hill last year, he had 67 receptions for 856 yards and six touchdowns. I mean, he was a productive player last year playing that flanker position while Paris Campbell sort of operated in that wide receiver H-back role. Hill is six foot, 195 pounds senior. I think he's going to be the focal point of that passing attack, at least early on. He knows the system. He's comfortable playing in it. And he was productive last year. I think he's somebody that can definitely sneak into late round consideration in the 2020 draft as far as rookie drafts for dynasty owners. And he has, you know, some room to grow. He's got some upside there. It's just going to be really interesting who's going to play that Paris Campbell role because they have a guy named Jalen Gill, who I'm really excited about. Six foot one, 195 pounds, played uh, running back in high school, was a highly rated four-star recruit. He played a little bit of wide receiver as well. And in 2018, Played and I believe it was two games and really didn't do anything as far as counting stats, and they ended up redshirting him. But coming out of high school, he was an Army All-American, verified 40 time of 4.38. And if I were to bet on anybody filling that Paris Campbell role this season, it would be Jalen Gill. There's CJ Saunders is there as well, but he was a walk-on. So I, I just think that Gill will have the opportunity, and he shined in the spring game. He did very very well in spring practices by all accounts. And in the spring game, I think he was the leading receiver for the Buckeyes. I know we all just see the catch that Garrett Wilson made, but Jalen Gill did a phenomenal job in that spring game as well. And throughout the spring practices, he's somebody as a redshirt freshman that can really come on and solidify himself as that H-back, Percy Harvin, 
Curtis Samuel, Paris Campbell role and really propel his trajectory for the NFL draft. Now, Garrett Wilson, the five-star recruit, early enrollee, I mean, what's not to like about Garrett Wilson? I think this guy is going to come in and contribute right away. Not eligible until 2022. He is in my tier one of prospects in 2022. Not just wide receivers, but prospects overall. He's five foot 11 and a half, 175 pounds. He's probably closer to 180 now after spending the spring in Columbus and with the weight program, eating and, and working out with the, with the strength and conditioning staff. His only reported times that we have came last July, uh, the opening finals. So a really big sort of combine event for the top prospects. He ran a 4.6340, a 4.2 short shuttle, had a 36-inch vert. And what was really impressive is he has 10-inch hands. So I know the speed doesn't jump off the, you know, jump right off the paper. Or when you hear it, 4.63, that's not really fast. But he plays a lot faster than his testing numbers show. And he also has the vertical ability and the hand size to go up and get balls over bigger defenders. Now, he's going to have to get a little bit stronger, which I think he probably has. But I think Garrett Wilson is in line to make a major impact as a true freshman. And he's somebody that can be a top draft pick for dynasty owners here in the near future. Now, running back is an interesting position as well. You've got J.K. Dobbins, preseason All-American. He's the lead back, right? He's one of the top. 2020 running back prospects right now. He's going to be the guy that's going to carry the load in that backfield for the Buckeyes. But Master Teague is a very, very intriguing player in his own right. Five foot 11, 220, 225 pounds. And they say he had one of the best spring practices and spring, you know, spring practice sessions of all the Buckeyes. Really improved his strength, his awareness, his speed. I mean, this guy looks like an NFL running back. I mean, he is built. He is strong. His senior year of high school ran the ball 242 times for 2,031 yards and 24 touchdowns. He has a verified 40 time of 4.5, 38-inch vert, and a 4.3 short shuttle. So he's an athletic big man, four-star recruit. Master Teague played in, I believe it was a couple of games last year, but didn't play in enough to really count. So he'll be a redshirt freshman. This fall, they put the they put the red shirt on him last year, but I think he has an opportunity to really carve out a role in that backfield. And you see, Ohio State has a propensity to use multiple backs, just like they did last year with Dobbins and Mike Weber. So it will be interesting to see does J.K. get all the carries early on, or is it sort of split up right at the beginning? From the tight end position, there's not much to talk about. It's hard to evaluate college tight end prospects, but the starter. All I know is he ran a 4.9540, and that was all I needed to see. So the Ohio State Buckeyes have a lot of interesting talent on their team, a lot of young talent. We'll see how it gels together. I expect the offense to probably take a little step back than it was last year with McLaurin and Paris Campbell and Dwayne Haskins at the helm. But for Debbie and Dynasty owners, there's a lot of potential goodness on this offense that we need to be watching this fall. experiencing some turbulence shouldn't last more than 15 or 20 minutes. Now for the main event, the showdown between DeAndre Swift and Travis Etienne. What I wanted to do in this segment is really dive deep into these two prospects, not just what I see on film, but look at what some of the analytics tell us about how successful they were on early downs, how successful they were against quality defenses, and sort of some of the things that the tape can't tell you 
and how we differentiate these two prospects. Now, for most people, Swift and ETN are 1A and 1B as far as 2020 running back prospects. Some other people might have Jonathan Taylor or Eno Benjamin ranked ahead of these guys, but they are tier one running backs for the 2020 draft class. And rightfully so. They're both very, very skilled, very talented running backs. But let's let's take a look at the tail of the tape and what makes these players unique in their own right. Round one. Starting with DeAndre Swift, five foot nine, 215 pound, former five-star recruit. He was the number four rated running back in the 2017 class. And he has a verified 40 time coming out of high school at 4.43, which is extremely fast. His freshman season, he played in 15 games. He had 81 carries for 618 yards, averaging 7.6 yards per carry and three touchdowns. He also caught the ball 17 times for 153 yards, averaging nine yards reception, one TD. As a sophomore, he played in one less game, battled some injuries his sophomore season, but he had 14 games, 163 carries for 1,049 yards, averaging 6.4 yards a carry and 10 touchdowns. He also caught the ball 32 times, for not 297 yards and three touchdowns. For Swift, he had a dominator rating of 20.6%, which for those of you who don't know what dominator rating is, it is for a running back. It is the percentage of that running back's offensive yards, team offensive yards, and touchdowns. Any running back that has over 15% is considered a breakout. So he meets that 15% threshold and he's a little bit over that 20% threshold. Travis Etienne is five foot ten, and according to you know, you, if you look at Clemson's site or you look at uh, ESPN or some other site, five ten, two hundred to two hundred fifteen pounds. Former four star recruit in that same twenty seventeen class, the number fifteen ranked running back. He has a verified forty time of four point four three as well. His freshman year, he played in thirteen games, had one hundred seven carries for seven hundred sixty six yards, averaging seven point two yards per carry and thirteen touchdowns five receptions for 57 yards and no touchdowns. As a sophomore, Etienne exploded on the scene with 204 carries for 1,658 yards, averaging 8.1 yards per carry and 24 touchdowns. He had 12 receptions for 78 yards and two TDs, and his dominator rating was 25.9%. So just looking at how they stack up size-wise, Etienne is a little bit taller. I believe Swift is a little thicker and more compact build. I know they've got ETN listed at 215. He's probably closer to 210, 205. Swift, I've seen some places say he's about 220. Both of them coming out of high school had a verified 443. Watching the film, the 443 on ETN looks a lot faster than DeAndre Swift, at least in long speed. It looks like he's a lot faster in a straight line than DeAndre Swift. Now, Etienne came out the gates. He had more rushing yards, more rushing opportunities than Swift as a freshman. But mind you, Swift shared the backfield with Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle are considered some of the better young running backs in the NFL. I know some people will kind of say, well, Sony's got a knee issue. Well, when he played, he was pretty damn good. So they are both NFL starting running backs. We'll just say that. And he had Elijah Holyfield in the backfield with him this past season, whereas ETN as a freshman, he was splitting carries a little bit with Feaster. And as a sophomore, he was the guy. He was in that backfield. Nobody else was taking carries away from him. And it showed. You know, one of the things that a lot of people point to is DeAndre Swift's ability to catch the ball. And I think he had that opportunity early on 
there were games where he was split out as a wide receiver because the coaching staff just wanted to get him on the field. He was that talented. You know, we can't take Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle off the field, so let's put Swift in as a, a slot receiver. So I think that skill set that he has, you know, from a pass catcher standpoint, is a lot more defined and refined than Travis Etienne. But I said it before, and I'll continue to say it, just because a prospect didn't do something in college does not mean they are incapable of doing it at the next level. You know, it's just really interesting to see how these two stack up from a measurable standpoint. And let's talk about some of the key players that each of them had on their team that sort of contributed to that success factor. So for DeAndre Swift last year, he had Jake Fromm, one of the better quarterbacks in college football, McCall Hardman, second round pick, Jeremiah Holloway, who is no longer on the team, but he was looked to be their number one receiver this year. Isaac Nata at tight end, Elijah Holyfield in the backfield, Riley Ridley, and Justin Fields for a part of that time. And Fields didn't just play in mop-up duty. I mean, they rotated he and Jake Fromm at times during meaningful games. For ETN, he has Trevor Lawrence as the quarterback. The year before, he had Kelly Bryant. T. Higgins, Justin Ross, Mitch Hyatt at offensive line, Amari Rogers, and Hunter Renfro. So he had a lot of supporting talent on his offense as well to help propel him, you know, some wide running lanes. But let's really take a look at who they played against and how these prospects stacked up against those defenses in 2018. Round two. So what I really wanted to do in this section of the showdown is look at how Swift and ETN fared against defenses when they had their most productive rushing games on the season. Now, I use total team defense as the criteria. So not just rushing, not just passing, but how these defenses were in totality compared to the rest of the FBS. So Swift's most productive rushing games came against Auburn, Kentucky, Georgia Tech, Florida, and Alabama. Versus Auburn, he had 186 rushing yards and one touchdown. Auburn's team total defense ranked 38 out of 130 FBS teams. 156 yards versus Kentucky, where they ranked 23rd out of 130 FBS teams. Third most productive game, 105 rushing yards and one TD versus Georgia Tech. They ranked 46th. Fourth most productive game, 104 rushing yards and one TD against Florida. They were 28th. In his least productive rushing game, came against one of the best defenses in the nation. He had 75 yards and one touchdown versus Alabama, who ranked 16th out of 130 FBS teams. Now, Travis Etienne, conversely, he had 203-3 versus Syracuse, which ranked 87 out of 130 FBS teams, 167 yards and three TDs versus Wake Forest. They ranked 116th out of 130 FBS teams. ETN had 156 yards and two TDs versus Pitt. They ranked 59th out of 130 FBS teams. He had 153 yards and one TD versus Louisville, who was almost dead last. They were 122 out of 130. And then their toughest defensive opponent, as far as total team defense, came against Georgia Southern. Now, mind you, Georgia Southern does not play in the SEC or the ACC or any Power 5 conference for that matter. But in total team defense, they ranked 41st in the nation. And ETN had 162 yards and two touchdowns. So just based off of total team defense, DeAndre Swift had the stiffer competition. But ETN, against the competition that he did face, I mean, he produced at a very, very high level. He also didn't have Elijah Holyfield taking carries away from him. So again, this, this statistic is not meant to be used as, well, DeAndre Swift played against harder competition, so that's why his numbers are down. But I just wanted to see 
who the hell these guys played against and how they fared against those opponents. So take that into consideration when ranking these prospects. Look at the defenses that faced. Look at how they fared against those defenses and use that as part of your analysis process. Round three. So this part of the showdown was my favorite, really looking at these two prospects and what they did on first and 10, how many total touches they had that went over 20 plus yards, how many went between eight and 20 yards. This was a really fun part of diving into these two prospects. So DeAndre Swift on first and 10, obvious running downs. Defense knows that you're probably going to run the ball. He had 83 attempts. He averaged 4.9 yards on those attempts. Travis Etienne had 104 attempts and averaged 9.1 yards per carry on those attempts. First and goal, second and goal, third and goal. Money situations, right? DeAndre Swift had 12 total carries on the season on first, second, and third and goal. uh, Travis Etienne, 24 carries. Now, a lot of those other carries that happened for Georgia went to Elijah Holyfield, who was sort of the short yardage grinder, but still 12 carries to 24. So ETN doubled them. Now touches over 20 plus yards, not just carries, but touches. DeAndre Swift had 12 total touches that went for 20 plus yards on the season. Travis ETN had 22 total touches that went for 20 plus yards on the season. Touches that went between eight and 20 yards. DeAndre Swift had 44. Travis ETN a little bit lower at 41. So Again, just really interesting facts as to when these prospects were used, when they were given the ball, how they were trusted, and how they fared on first and 10 when, you know, that is an obvious running situation. Now, let's take a look at how these offensive lines from Clemson and Georgia factored into the success of these two running backs. And for that, I went over to footballoutsiders.com, who had some really good 2018 NCAA offensive line stats that I think are very, very helpful in this exercise. And the first step that we're going to look at are line yards per carry. And what that is, is the offensive line gets credit for rushing yards between zero and three yards. They get 50% of the credit for yards gained four through eight. And anything over eight yards is quantified as a highlight opportunity. And all the credit goes to the running back. Garbage time is filtered out for all line yard averages. So for Georgia, their offensive line yard uh, line yards per carry was 2.98, which ranks seventh in the nation, which that tells me they have a very good job of blocking between zero and three yards. Clemson, 2.87, which was 17th in the nation, which is still very, very good. So the second offensive line stat that we're going to look at are the standard down line yards per carry. Now, this is the raw, unadjusted per carry line yardage for a team on standard downs. So first and second down and seven or fewer third and four or fewer, or fourth and four or fewer. How these teams ranked, Georgia in standard down line yards, they averaged 2.98 yards per carry, which was seventh in the country. Clemson, 2.84, which was 15th in the country. Again, very similar. Georgia, seven and seven. Clemson, 17 and 15 on the first two counting stats. So both very, very good offensive lines. Now, the next stat we're going to look at is the opportunity rate, and that is the percentage of carries that gain at least four yards. So basically what that is saying is that the offensive line did its job and opened the hole. Where Georgia ranked in that is 53.4% of their carries. The offensive line did their job, which was ranked 12th in the country. For Clemson, it was 50% of the time, which was 33rd in the country. So there's a little bit of a gap there. It seems like, you know, for opening the hole for DeAndre Swift and Elijah Holyfield, Georgia's offensive line was quite a bit better than Clemson's, who ranks 33rd in the nation, but still very, very good. Now, power success rate. 
This is the percentage of runs on third or fourth down, two yards or less to go that achieved a first down or a touchdown. How did Georgia fare in this department? Well, 76.7%, which was 33rd in the nation. Clemson, quite a bit less, 67.9%, which was 86th in the nation. So that tells me that when the going got tough, Georgia's offensive line was better than Clemson's. Now, ETN, you know, had more carries in the first, second, and first and goal, second and goal, and third and goal situations than DeAndre Swift. But their line was a little bit poorer in that situation or in those situations during the in-game, in-game play. Now, the last stat that I want to look at is the stuff rate, and that is the percentage of carries by a running back that are stopped at or before the line of scrimmage. So who has to make some plays, you know, in the backfield because stuff was just not blocked right. So for Georgia, the stuff rate was 17.3%, which was 39th in the country. Really, really good. So DeAndre Swift really wasn't getting stuff behind the line that much, only about 17.3% of the time. And maybe some of that was Elijah Holyfield as well. For Travis Etienne, stuff rate was only 14.4%, which was 10th in the country. So he wasn't facing any opposition in the backfield when he got the ball. Now, just for comparison purposes, I'm just going to read Alabama's ranks across the board just to see, you know, how good their offensive line is compared to some others. 2, 2, 28, 5, 6, and 3. So it looks like based off of these statistics, and the NFL uses this stat, these stats as well to grade their offensive lines, Georgia had the superior offensive line, but DeAndre Swift may have had to have done a little more in the backfield than Travis Etienne. Final round. Now, the final part of this showdown is the film analysis, the subjective film-based analysis. Yes, that's what I'm diving into right now. And I'm going to focus on two traits that each of these prospects, I believe, do exceptionally well and better than the other. Let's start with Travis Etienne this time. His long speed, his burst right out the gate is elite. It is superior than DeAndre Swift. I know that they're both timed coming out of high school at a 4-4-3. I believe Travis Etienne is faster than that. I think his long speed is faster than DeAndre Swift. I've yet to see Etienne caught from behind ever, not one time. When he hits the gap, when he hits the open field, he is gone. And also, even though DeAndre Swift may outweigh him by about 10 pounds, Etienne's contact balance is phenomenal. This guy gets hit, pinballs off defenders, and burst in the open field. And again, when he's in the open field, he's not being caught. So just off of watching the tape, what I've seen, his long speed and contact balance are superior than DeAndre Swift. Now, what does DeAndre Swift do? better on tape than Travis Etienne showed. One, lateral agility, start-stop ability. DeAndre Swift is elite. When I watch him run, it looks like LaShawn McCoy as far as how he cuts, the dead leg, the lateral agility. I believe that is superior um, over Travis Etienne. I, I haven't really seen Etienne show a lot of wiggle. To me, he's more of a straight-line runner, which is fine, Chris Johnson was a straight line runner uh, for for a lot of his career, and he was very effective. But ETN um, has not shown the lateral agility that DeAndre Swift has. And the second trait is the receiving ability. Again, I don't. I'm not saying that Travis ETN can't do it, but I've seen DeAndre Swift do it. I've seen him catch 17 passes in a season, 30 plus receptions in a season. I know a lot of people wanted to compare Josh Jacobs to Alvin Kamara, but I, I, I think Swift's skill set right away, you can get him on an NFL offense, line him up at slot receiver, 
put him in the backfield. He can run between the tackles. He can make people miss. His start-stop ability is superior than Travis Etienne. What's the verdict on these two? Who wins the showdown? Don't know and don't care. Both of them are tier one running back prospects. I think that any dynasty owner would be equally as happy to have either of these guys on your roster on their roster. I think there are things that each of them do that are a little bit better than the others. You know, DeAndre Swift, a little bit of an injury history, Travis Etienne, you know, the lateral agility. I haven't seen a lot of it. DeAndre Swift's going to be in a timeshare again this year, which I think is good for him to keep some wear and tear off of his body. Travis Etienne may be a little taller, a little bit faster. Both of them are blue chip prospects. Both of them are tier one running backs. And for me and for many dynasty owners, you flip a coin, either either side that that thing lands on, you'd be happy with either running back. But I just want to provide some, some statistical analysis, some data and some film observations in this showdown. I hope you like this segment. I plan on doing this more and more, but hey, that's who it is. You guys tell me who won the battle. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. I hope you've enjoyed your flight. We'll be landing in just a few minutes. And before we close out the show, a little bit of news and notes. Uh, Washington got a commitment from the 45th overall 2020 prospect, Jalen McMillan, who is really, really freaking good. Um, It's the biggest recruit that Chris Peterson's ever gotten in Washington. I mean, they've got shades of Keenan Allen, they say, to his game. And Ole Miss got the seventh overall quarterback in the 2020 prospect, at least a commitment, verbal commitment from Robbie Ashford, dual threat quarterback, one of the top dual threat quarterbacks in the country. The thing with these early commitments, until that NLI is signed and faxed over to the school, all this stuff is scheduled to change, but it's still fun to watch exciting prospects announce where they plan on playing so we can start thinking about what we want to do as Devi owners in the future. It's really good to hear that Zamir White has been cleared and will be cleared for fall camp contact. Really good for him coming off his second ACL surgery, um, one to each knee, which, you know, I, I guess if you were going to have two ACLs, you would want it in both in separate knees. That way, you know, chances for maybe that arthritis isn't as, as high. I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. I'm just sort of guessing on that. But Samir White in that backfield with DeAndre Swift and James Cook and Brian Heron should be a fun offensive time in Georgia. And speaking of Georgia, I touched on it real quick on the last episode. Jeremiah Holloman has been removed from the team. Assault allegations. He was projected to be the number one receiver. Now steps Demetrius Robinson, the curious case of Robinson. At one point in time, he was a very high five-star recruit, number 13th overall player in the 2016 class. True freshman at Cal, he absolutely lit it up. In 11 games, he had 767 yards and 17 TDs. And then as a sophomore, I have no clue what happened, but he only played in two games, caught seven passes for 70 yards, transfers to Georgia. Last year, does absolutely nothing. Didn't catch a pass, ran the ball four times for 109 yards and a TD. If it's going to happen for this talented, talented player, it's going to be now or never. Like, this is the year for Demetrius Robinson to make a name for himself. He's got the talent. He's got the speed to really develop into that. You know, we ask who's going to be this year's Tylen Wallace and come out of nowhere, just explode. With Jake Fromm at quarterback, with DeAndre Swift and all that stable of running backs, Robinson has a chance to really, really make a name for himself and improve upon his 2020 draft stock as well as, you know, his dynasty stock for, for owners going into the 2020 rookie draft. Well, that's going to do it for this episode, episode seven of the Destination Debbie podcast. I will be announcing the winner of the DeAndre Hopkins signed jersey today on Twitter, so stay tuned for that. 
And next month, we will be doing a signed Derrick Henry jersey. Yes, Derrick Henry, one of the more polarizing players in fantasy football today, got his jersey in. So I'll be doing that for everybody who entered for the DeAndre Hopkins jersey. Good news, you're automatically entered for the Derrick Henry jersey, as well as every other giveaway that I'll be doing for the remainder of the year. I hope you guys enjoyed the prospect showdown. I really want to do that more often, really kind of diving into more than just the film analysis for these prospects. So I hope you enjoyed it. Got a bonus episode coming for you this week and a really good guest that we're going to do um, some fun stuff with the 2020 class. I don't want to announce it yet, but I think you guys will be really excited and, and happy about this next Destination Debbie episode. So until then... Hey, I ain't got nothing else. You know what's next. Drop the music. <laughs>